Des Moines. And now, from the Lithia Body and Paint Sports Desk, powered by BMW of Des Moines, this is an X's and O's update on 1460 KXNO. And I'm Trent Condon. Tiger Woods wins his 15th major championship and his first since 2008. But here it is. The return to glory. The call from Jim Nansen, CBS. Woods finished a 13-under for the tournament. The Iowa Wild are heading to the playoffs for the first time in franchise history. Forsberg is a rebound. Went straight up in the air. They score! Mason Shaw out of midair! The call from Joe O'Donnell on 1460 KXNO. Iowa will host Milwaukee in Game 1 of their Best of 5 series starting on Sunday. To baseball, the Royals walk it off and finish off the sweep of Cleveland. The infield is in, the outfield is in, and Dozier hits a line drive base hit. In Monterey, Mexico, Marcelo Zuna showing some pop. Here's a 1-0, and Ozuna hits a drive. Out to deep right, at the wall, gone! Ozuna with a drive, out to deep left, get out of the stadium! The call from Fox Sports Midwest. The Cardinals 9-6 on the year. Return to action tonight in Milwaukee. Live from the Wild Rose you know, in Jefferson Studios. You'd rather be here. This is 1460 KXNO. Hawkeyes, Cyclones, Panthers, and Bulldogs. Yeah, we got that covered. This is Des Moines Sports Station. 1460 KXNO. All right, welcome back. Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460, KXNO. Highest-ranked morning golf telecast ever. That's the new spin. I like it. That's a positive spin, yes. Beat the British Open. And it's truthful. It is truthful. I did a 7.7. Patrick Reed's win last year was an 8.7. But as we talked about, uh, obviously the timing plays a significant role uh, into how many people were able to watch that and uh, the length of time that they were able to spend watching that. All right, Trent Condon, we went to break. By the way, we've got a short segment here. We've got to get Matt Rudy right on time at 11.15 before he boards his airplane. So... Uh, the Cyhawk game and the potential of uh, ESPN bringing college game day to our fine state. On the surface, a great conversation piece for us here. But nationally, people, are, what are these? What are these morons in Iowa talking? Well, about? here's here's what we're talking about. And normally, uh, yes, I do agree with you. Um, but the national slate of games that day, Trent, is let's just put it this way: Iowa, the Cyhawk week is in a perfect spot. There's not a lot of marquee games uh, featuring Power 5 school and interconference play. There just isn't. Here's the list. You stop me when you think you found the competition. Uh, Alabama, South Carolina. No. No. Um, Arizona State, Michigan State. No. No. Clemson, Syracuse. Into the ACC we go. Now, that's been... What, Syracuse beat them two years ago, and this year was really close, Had them on the ropes this year. Had them on the ropes, right. Yes. Yes. And that fourth quarter drive by the backup quarterback. By the backup quarterback, yep. Um, It was basically Travis Etienne. Right. Carrying people down. Yes. He was a man on that That day he was, no doubt. Not bad. Not bad. But seen it before. At Syracuse? At Syracuse. They don't get up to... I don't think that's happening. Florida, Kentucky. That's got... um, CBS written all over it. Yeah. Don't see it. Or or uh, SEC Network. Florida State, Virginia. Florida State, 
Virginia, nah, still too early for Bronco. It's not company. basketball. I'd rather see. No, yes. I wouldn't. I was going to say I'd rather see those two schools and play basketball, which would be a good game. But I'm thought the ACC tournament. We did. Yes, the we last did. team to beat Virginia. Mm-hmm. That's right. And then Florida State uh, couldn't. Uh, what happened in the championship? Tennessee got him. No, 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 no. Duke, no Duke got him. Tennessee doesn't play in that conference. Not even in basketball. <laughs> um, Long weekend. Iowa State. Yep. K State, Mississippi State. Yeah. Maryland Temple. No. Nope. They're not coming to Iowa. Iowa State. North uh, NC State, West Virginia. NC State, West Virginia. No, no. Will Greer. All right, here's what has to happen. Now, hang on, I got a couple more here for you. Here, okay. here, here's the here's the competition. I don't think it's competition. There's two of them. Oklahoma at UCLA. UCLA year two of Chip Kelly and company. Oklahoma last Brand year new quarterback playoff. You can sell that. Okay, you can sell that at the Rose Bowl. At the Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl. At the Rose Bowl. That's to me the competition. TCU Purdue. No. Hmm. All right. So what in order to get there? What needs to happen? Well, they both got to win. Yes. Can't, can't afford an upset loss. Right. Absolutely. Have to both start in the preseason top 25? Uh, certainly wouldn't hurt. Certainly wouldn't hurt. I believe they both have to be ranked for this to be a reality. Okay. And to be ranked, obviously, they can't lose either their first couple games. So you got to go there. Week three is not the shiniest slate of it's national not. games, Trent. It's not a great slate early on. I still I can't envision. I can't envision that this that this is going to be a national spotlight game. Mm-hmm. Iowa Iowa State. Two we know big, the importance here. Big name coaches, even nationally. Yes, I mean Matt Campbell's arrows clearly pointing up, and everybody knows Ferentz. Mm-hmm. Never been to Ames. Never have. Tired of hearing about it. There's, a, maybe, there's very few that are left on that list that they've never been to. That's maybe one of the big carrots, though, that is dangling out in front. That's why I think it's a, it's got a chance. It's a it's a possibility. And it's scheduled on the right week. The first two weeks of the season have much more impactful, mm-hmm. marquee crossover games. And if you're going to get to Ames, as you look through, this is the time to do it. Because you get in the course of, of conference season... Iowa State are going to be good, but maybe eight and four good. Mm-hmm. You're not going to watch a seven and three team play Oklahoma normally, unless mm. the slate because there are bigger impact games in conference play. So if you're really trying to find that angle to find a way to get to Ames, this is the one to do it. I brought this up. Are you the, coming around? No, no, it's you're not still happening. not. It's not happening. I thought you were I mean, trying to sell yourself a little bit there. One of the funniest things I was talking to one of my Cyclone buddies, and they said, "Ah, I." Of course, they all want game day to be there. They don't want it to be there, though, with Iowa. Why? Because they said, we don't need it's Iowa. It's our state's we, biggest game. We don't need Iowa. They want it, they want it to be on their, on their own. Oh, really? That's The guy doesn't like Iowa very much, as you well, can tell. Well, I mean, I'm not surprised by that, but right. man, this, is, this is state's biggest game. You're going to turn that opportunity down? No, you really? wouldn't turn it down. They would just prefer. Well, they have no choice. Right. Yeah. Right. They would prefer it to be a game against Oklahoma. A Big 12 Texas. game. Yes. Yeah. Well, okay. Which I get. I guess. Regardless, it's not happening. Game day's not coming. Here. Trent. They're not coming here. It, it's it's uh, Oklahoma, UCLA. It's seemingly the only competition for the way I look at it. Uh, we'll take a timeout. We'll come back. Uh, Matt Rudy, Golf Digest. We'll recap. Uh, we'll dot some I's and cross some T's on what we saw yesterday morning. And then Scott Darkerman and Dylan Montz will talk Iowa and Iowa State with us at the bottom of the hour. It's Miller and Condon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460.
It's 24-hour sports, morning, noon, and night, here on 1460 KXNO. One final time. I was just about to say, Trent, you can put this one away for the year. Matt Rudy, Golf Digest, let's go down to Georgia. Matt spent, uh, well, the better part of the week covering the Masters, and he joins us. Matt, Trent, and Ken, thanks for coming on, Matt Rudy. How are you? You bet. I'm doing okay. Well, where does that one rank amongst the uh, events uh, you've covered, whether it be majors or tournaments or Ryder Cups? Uh, just for the storyline itself, got to be, if it's not at the top, I'm anxious to hear what is. You know what? The first two Masters I covered were 96 and 97 when Greg Norman gave it up to Nick Faldo, and then the next year when Tiger you know, beat everybody's brains in. So I, I got to see it at the beginning, and now I've got to see it here and some 20, 20 odd years later, and this was this was impressive for what Tiger was able to do and what he was able to overcome. Uh, we've we've been talking certainly on uh, I've been talking with you guys for a long time yep. about what Tiger's seemingly been able to do or not do, and just the the raw fact that he came back from such a devastating injury and a devastating surgery is a big deal. I mean, I, I don't I don't think it beat eighty six just because Nicholas shot sixty five on Sunday, which was pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Tiger shot seventy and kinda of got out of the way while a bunch of other people drove it in the ditch. So I, I don't I don't think it was as impressive just in terms of the raw shot the raw score that you know that the player had to shoot to win the tournament. It's not often that you shoot seventy and win from behind. That's that's pretty rare. But uh but to to persevere and to and and to do it on a day when it, it was really a strange you know, the, the, the two tees and playing in the morning and playing uh, with so little time, relatively speaking, to get ready again. I mean, this is a guy who takes two or three hours just to stretch and to get himself into, you know, just to be able to hit the first shot. So to be able to recover physically and 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 keep keep his energy up for the for the morning and do what he did, it, it certainly is impressive. It, it's in the top five for me for sure. Matt, we hear about the Tiger Roar, and I heard Dustin Johnson afterwards. Talk about there's a roar a line. and his is is much different. So for people that have never been to the Masters or never even been to an event that Tiger's a part of, if you can just describe what what makes it so different and, and so compelling to everybody that ends up talking about it. The roar that he gets is like the one that Jack got through the years. I was at the Masters in '98 when Jack was 50, was 58 and was finishing the top 10, and when he made his run on Sunday. It's the same kind of noise, and and what it is is it's, those guys transcend the the sort of the partisanship that happens in sports. Whether you're at a Final Four game, you know, you're, you, when you're when you're watching a Final Four game, you're one of a quadrant of people rooting for one team, and when everyone is rooting together for whatever it might be, that that's the difference. You're at the Masters, and everyone's got their partisan person that they're pulling for. But with Tiger or with Jack, Jack was that way. Arnold Palmer was that way for sure. Um, everyone is rooting. That's the one guy everyone knows and everyone's pulling for, whether you're a hardcore golf fan or just a casual golf fan. And I, and I genuinely believe that people are rooting for him, uh, whether, whether you love him or hate him. He's great to, he's great to holler about if you want, yep. you want to make him the villain, and he's great to holler for him if you can't wait to see what he does next. It's like Howard Stern. You, you, want, to, you want to watch no matter what happens, and, and I think th- those are the unifying qualities. There were a lot of people that hated Jack Nicklaus because he dethroned our Yep. And there was just as much energy for the people that were yelling against him as that were yelling for him. And I think that's that's a big part of it. It's, it's uh, the, the 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 guy's a, a hero, a superhero, whether you want to say he's a villain or a or you know, he's a Superman. He's, he, I think he, he fits both of those categories, you know, depending on where you sit. And uh, when somebody conquers the golf course and beats 
some of the other players. You know, he, he beat Brooks Kepka. He beat he beat Molinari. He beat the guys who've been playing the best over the last couple of years on the most famous course in golf. You have to you have to give him credit, and you have to also, you know, look at look in amazement at what his record was. I mean, this is the best player, arguably, of all time who hadn't won a major in eleven years. Mm-hmm. That's 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 pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Matt Rudy from Golf Digest is our guest. Yeah, he clearly moves the needle, whether you love him or hate him, no doubt about that. What was uh, wasn't lost on me, Matt, was um, you know how the young guns um, that that stuck around, that uh, that went to social media and, and posted their respects. It, it was it's the the appreciation they had for the moment yesterday and what he did for them in in their sport when you know, how he yeah. changed it. Um, I I thought that spoke volumes. It did, and, and, and golf is a notoriously selfish sport. You know, it's a solitary sport. You're playing by yourself for the most part. And to be honest, a lot of times the players are sort of self-absorbed jerks when you talk to them. That's just the reality of dealing with athletes in solitary sports. And for them to be aware, number one, of the of the of how important the moment was, number two, how much they owe their bank account and yeah. the visibility of the sport and so many other things. And to this to this player, you're right. It, it speaks to uh, just an overwhelming uh, impact. And Tiger said it in his press conference. And he said he, you know, he would, he liked to think that he brought a little bit of different stuff to, to golf, and I think he did. You know, that just the fitness element and the explosive athletic element that was something. If, if you were covering tour golf in the mid '90s, you could still be a guy who had a few smokes and a few beers, <laughs> yeah. kind of stumbled up to the tee and. Uh, and I'm not taking away from what those guys accomplished. Those are some great players. But if you're not a fit athlete when you play on tour now, you're not going to uh, be competitive. And you're certainly not going to be competitive over the long term. Uh, you know, To be able to carve out a length of career uh, now is going to require just a different kind of training, a different kind of focus on things. And Tiger brought that. And he brought a lot of scrutiny and a lot of attention and a lot of money. There's some good and bad that goes with that, but but a lot of attention to the sport, and those players know second place yesterday paid eight hundred and sixty thousand dollars. Unreal, and that's, that's Tiger Woods money. That's why, <laughs> indeed, it is. Matt, now you've covered him for a long time, his entire career. How was he changed? I mean, we see him smile more. I think it was at the Players Championship. Him and I believe it was Kevin Na had that you know that moment on that green as they were putting out, had some fun and mimicking each other. You don't see that a lot from Tiger. How has he no. changed? I think the big thing is he sees the end. You know, when when you when you're 23 and you and you feel like you have unlimited stuff coming ahead, that's different than you know being a guy that sees. You know, sees the finish line. I think that gives you some perspective. And I think it was a, it was a big deal for him to be able to win a major in front of his kids when they were old enough to, to understand what was going on, and and the emotion of that. Um, I, I saw that the final hole happened kind of in two parts. You know, he made that putt, and that just primal scream that he let out was for him mm-hmm. and what he did and what he accomplished and and how you know that that he validated something that it, to himself, nobody else. And then when he would turn around and made a beeline for the, you know, the, the, right there where the TV tower was, where his kids were and his mom was, that was that part was for them, you know, just to say, you know, look, I look, you got you got to see what this was really like firsthand, and and I think that that awareness and that that feeling that he got, you know, being able to share it with other people like that, and how important it was for them to see it, that's that's something outside of himself that he might not have cared as much about maybe 10 years ago or 15 years ago so tiger he'll take a couple weeks off here i believe come back at the beginning of may for the wells fargo in carolina pga new schedule this Love year it. 
PGA happening uh, in May. June will get the U.S. Open in July, the Open Championship with the British. Expectations now are different for Tiger. New schedule, new calendar, a good thing for Tiger, and, and a good thing certainly for golf, you'd have to feel. Yeah, and the two venues that are coming up are Bethpage and Pebble Beach. And those are two places that he's had, you know, some really good memories. Yeah, he played well at those places. I don't know so much about Bethpage. It's going to be pretty long and hard. And, you know, the rough is going to be amazing. And the toolbox that somebody like Brooks Kepka has at Bethpage is probably a little bit better for the sport nowadays than Tiger. But Pebble Beach, it's hard to argue. I mean, he loves that place, obviously. He's got a lot of good memories there. And, uh, what I want to see is, I mean, Phil Mickelson won at Pebble earlier this year, and to see those two guys go at it when it when it matters. You know, Phil to win the career Grand Slam and Tiger to win is another major at 43. That would be pretty good. Let's let's root for that. Mm. And my kids will my kids will be able to eat for another five years. So. <laughs> uh, Matt, a couple of things on the on the circumstances of the tournament being moved around. We know the ratings weren't what they are normally. It was still great theater, but a couple of things. How important was it when they went to threesomes for Tiger to be put? In, in the final group, and then without having the benefit of the players that did tee off late, knowing that you know some guy who was not a factor in the tournament got his round in maybe before they teed off, and he put up a 63 or a 64. So not knowing that that number was out there when normally they would have, and Tiger being put in the final grouping. How about those two? Well, I think all those things you mentioned were, were certainly factors. Um, I think Tiger would always like to look directly in the eyes of the people that he's going head-to-head with, and adding one more to the parent is helpful. Um, I, I do think that the way they had to start with threesomes and they had it going off of both tees made it more of a track meet. Uh, you couldn't see the day unfold and kind of understand how the course, what, what the course was offering. I, I, you know, it, 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 to be honest, it took away some of the, 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 the feel and, and you know, the, kind of the... the the pressure that comes with a major and, and the buildup that, that gets you to, you know, the back nine on Sunday at the Masters. You know, as mentioned, it was happening at, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning. It was right. really strange. You know, and, and so that, that made it a different, a different feel. A buddy of mine, Mark Blackburn, great teacher down in Alabama, we, we wrote a story together for Tuesday where he said that the player that was going to be able to win this is the one who would be able to manage the chaos that comes from changing up the schedule from weather. And that's exactly what happened. There was a lot of chaos. And Tiger is a veteran. He loves that golf course. He knows what's coming. And, and 12 was a perfect example. The, the Brooks Kepka, Molinari, the Colts, there's so many players look at that and go, it's a 147-yard shot. I'm going right at that flag. I want to make a birdie. Tiger says, you know what? I'm going to hit it over here to the left. I'm going to make a par. I'm going I'm to make my money on the par fives. And that's exactly what he did. Brooks Kepka doesn't hit it in the water on 12. Brooks Kepka's now won three out of the last however many majors, and mm-hmm. you know probably the undisputed number one player in the world. Were you surprised? Last thing, were you surprised that he didn't his putt, his birdie putt on seventeen slid past, and then on eighteen he had another look and uh, couldn't put that one in the bottom. No, I, I'm, I'm not surprised by that because he, he he did everything he could. He put himself in position. He made a double and he came right back with an eagle on the next hole. And Tiger has said repeatedly that when he looks at the board. That's the guy he looks for now because that's a guy who isn't afraid. He mm-hmm. doesn't back up. And there are going to be days when it works for you, and there are going to be days when it doesn't. But um, he, you know, he's he's relentless. He's like you know, he's like Tiger was, and that's probably the highest compliment you can give someone when you look at a guy in a major and say he's not going to make mistakes. I got to go beat him. And that, and that's and that's what happened. He made a little mistake, you know, this one little mistake, and he's a he's a 25 year old guy. And, and when you're 25 and you're learning, that just makes it so much 
you know, more difficult to beat him on those same mistakes later on. Uh, last thing for you, Matt. Did, did it ever rain? I mean, we saw it sp- sprinkle a little bit. Uh, I, after the Butler Cabin, I turned it off, went to the NBA. I know they came outside for the ceremony. Did they ever get the rain that they thought they were going to get? <laughs> you know what? It came in the most annoying time for what I do because the tournament ended and they scurried everyone away to sign cards and all that. And my job is to loiter out and try to find different people and have them weigh in on what, what we just saw. And right in that time period when, you know, caddies and players and everything are, are milling around where you can get some good stuff, the siren went off <laughs> and, they, and, they, and they made everybody go away. And then it rained pretty hard for uh, you know, probably an hour. So um, I think they were right to make the decision uh, to, to, to change it around. The, the, you, you can't predict. The, the, my wife's kids are actually here in Atlanta on spring break, and they just got just, I mean, the, the, the storm that hit Atlanta was epic. And this, by the luck of the draw, the full brunt of it didn't hit Augusta, but it, they, they made the right decision. And, and uh, it's, uh, it changed the atmosphere, but, they, but if you look at the board and you look at the champion they got, it's hard to argue with what we saw. No doubt about it. Matt, thank you for what you do for us. We'll talk to you next month, okay? You bet. See ya. Thank you. Matt Rudy, Golf Digest, uh, as he joins us as we talk a little bit of golf. Want to talk a little more golf? It's time to go for the green with KXNO and EKG Golf. Text the keyword hockey to 200-200 right now to enter to win $1,000 cash. That's hockey to 200-200 right now. Standard message and data rate supply. Scott Dockerman, Dylan Montz, they're next. It's Des Moines Sports Station, 14-6-slash-walk. Sports Radio in Iowa starts and ends right here. This is Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Hi, welcome back. Again, our thanks to Matt Rudy, Golf Digest, opining from, well, from Atlanta now. I spent the weekend in Augusta. Little change in music from the last segment to this one. We Saw go that, from, yes, from the, the Masters. The Masters to little Motley Crew for our next guest, Scott Dockerman. And he appreciates that. Dylan Montz uh, from the Ames Tribune will follow Scott Dockerman in here as Doc joins us. Doc, Trent, and Ken, thanks for coming on to Scott Dockerman. How are you? Hey, great, guys. How's it going? Good. Well, the Athletic got, uh, if, if it's possible, even better today. I saw Ed Bousset, who's been... A long-time Pittsburgh Steeler writer and uh, a real uh, a, a, one of the main media personalities uh, in Pittsburgh uh, is uh, just the latest to join the Athletic. You guys seemingly expand on a weekly basis. Another huge get. Yeah, sometimes I and I don't know about it until they're announced or in our private Slack channel will say, "Welcome to so and so today." I'm like, wow, and you know Ed Bouchette is is amazing. Yeah. You know, I've been watching him for a long, long time. He's covered the Steelers forever in a day. So, yeah, I would say we got better. It seems like every week there's somebody uh, that comes aboard, you know, a Dan Pompey or mm-hmm. Ned Bouchette that you just go, wow, that's that's amazing. Those are amazing hires. No doubt about it. Uh, and one of your colleagues, and I haven't seen it posted yet. If it has, uh, then somehow I missed it. But Barry Alvarez was interviewed uh, in a wide-ranging interview um, from one of the one of the athletic writers. And, and the piece that uh, that kind of stayed with me, Doc, uh, from reading some of the stuff that's going to be in the article was uh, when Barry Alvarez was asked about the college football playoff. Now I did not know. Apparently, and Alvarez, I would like to think does know as he was on the college football playoff committee uh, when it was first formed um, there's apparently a narrow window after 
after this season that they can revisit the number of teams that qualify for the playoff. And, you know, just the fact that the Big Ten has been on the outside looking in the last couple of years and with the power that Delaney wields, at least until June, and this conference wields, it may pave the way for us to go from four to eight. Alvarez said some very interesting stuff. He always does when he feels he can he can break news without breaking news. And, uh, he certainly did uh, the other day. You know, our, our Wisconsin writer Jesse Temple, who's also terrific, you know, was able to talk to him and you know, and he printed that Q and A, uh, and it was really uh, it, it was really revealing. He mentioned about the college football playoff, and and so it could get from uh, four to eight teams, and he said there's an opening when they can make changes, and that's available. So, uh, you know, and Jim Delaney's in favor of expansion. So I think that's, uh, it really signals a trend that I think is going to, something's going to change because the Big Ten has always been kind of the roadblock. They were to uh, the BCS in the beginning. They were to the playoff in the beginning. But now I think we've gotten to the point where, yeah, they've been left behind, uh, rightly or wrongly, but out of the 14 playoff last few years, they have been. And, and so now is the chance and the opportunity to ensure that a Big Ten op team gets in there and the champion gets in there and so it looks like uh it looks like it's going to happen i think it's going to happen sooner rather than later well in the change there's a lot of different theories out there of what it should become possibility of six with a couple of buys in there doc i just can't envision that i can't imagine them going to a scenario like that with six teams getting in i I think eight's the number i think the expansion's going to happen there and hopefully maybe that's the end point but you always get into bracket creep and the continued expansion from there you think if the change is made here over the next year, it will be a move to eight teams in the playoff? Yeah, I think so. I think that's just an easier number to navigate because you're going to have uh, you know concerns and probably rightly so from from the group of five teams that you know, hey, a Central Florida was twelve and zero and couldn't even get a sniff. If they go to six teams, it might be the same way because this year you're probably adding Georgia and Ohio State, uh, you know, or a team from the Mountain West. You know, you just have all those teams that are you know, that are capable of discussion and you're just not getting in. So I think eight is the right number. I'm, I'm really intrigued by the possibilities. Does this mean that, uh, you know, the, the, the tip traditional army Navy game weekend, if that's going to be like, say the first mm. round and is it going to be on campus? Um, I think people in the North should be very excited for that, for the potential of a, a warm weather team coming to a Madison or Ann Arbor, or, you know, even a, a Kinnick or Jack Trice. I mean, that would be, very interesting. So, uh, but you know, I think the one thing before everybody gets really excited about this, you've got to understand the ramifications, which is that very few teams are going to win this thing. It's going to be the the pool is much narrow because I don't see an Iowa, I don't see a Wisconsin or an Iowa State or many teams be able to go run the gauntlet of playing, say, you know, um, let's say a Pac-12 team, a Washington, then a Clemson, and then an Alabama back to back to back and winning. Maybe they could win a one-game winner-take-all, possibly a two-game scenario. I just don't see teams, unless they have superior talent, winning three back-to-back-to-back. So I think everybody needs to adjust their expectations that getting to the you know the, the playoff is the ultimate. Winning the championship would just be beyond your, your wildest dreams. A few more minutes with Scott Dockerman from The Athletic. Doc, uh, Tyler Cook, is uh, he's gone. It was um, you know, He made the announcement that he's hiring an agent. He's staying in the draft. There's very, very, very little possibility of him coming back for his final season at Iowa, if at all. Um, so what does that do to the team? And then 
I hate to bring it up, but you know, internet rumors. Isaiah Moss. Did you have you seen the Isaiah Moss transfer rumor out there? Is there anything to that, Doc? Yeah, I wouldn't shut the door on that one. Okay, <laughs> you know, so uh, now it, it, it something could happen there. I, uh, you know, it, it's possible he'll be a, you know, he'll be a fifth year senior next year. I'm not sure about his academic status, so I, I don't want to comment on that. But no, it, it's certainly possible. Um, you know, Tyler Cook is uh, is gone, and I know people are trying to almost say, well, but there's that one little possibility. No, just wave by. It's, 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 he's gone, and we knew that. Right. You know, Macy Daly's gone, so they've they've got some openings now. And Joe Wieskamp declared for the draft, and you know, I think most people expect him to return. Then he's not quite ready yet, but uh, he's an NBA caliber player. So you know, it, it wouldn't shock me a bit if he goes and gets some good feedback and. You know, maybe he would leave too, and if that's the case, then Iowa would be in real trouble for next year. I mean, where are your athletes? You know, who's going to come in and, you know, how are you going to run that style of play with people you have? I mean, it's a good with a Tyler Cook and an Isaiah Moss, but I'm not so sure that the other guys, and I think everybody has put way too much pressure on Joe Toussaint. Um, he's he's a high school kid right now right. in Brooklyn, and he's a three-star, I mean, or Bronx, I'm sorry, and, and he's not going to come here and automatically be Trey Burke. You know, so let's let's give him some space because it's going to take time. And and if he's not very good his first year, it's not because he sucks. It's just because he's not prepared to play in the Big Ten because it's a very difficult league. Speaking of uh, kind of biding time and building their way out, the two offensive tackles on the football front. Last week you wrote about Tristan Wirfs and Doc enjoyed your article as he goes out there trying to break Brandon Sheriff's lift record and going through that. But mentioned something on your podcast with Mark Morehouse last week about kind of the way that he's wired, and maybe Tristan Wirfs a little too nice. Would that be a fair characterization? <laughs> yeah, he has the opposite personality of Brandon Sheriff. I mean, he is one of the nicest people I've ever met, and it's just he's warm and he's engaging, and he'll come up to you and introduce himself. And, you know, when he was younger, a lot of times he had to get used to his size because he's been hurt. You know, he lives in Mount Vernon, Iowa, in a small town, and you know, okay, don't hurt him. Or if he'd be down on the field and he'd be a foot taller and 50 pounds heavier than kids even in middle school, they're like, oh, watch out for him. Uh, but so he's kind of, and he doesn't really want to refer to himself as being, but he does want to be physical out on the football field. And so he's trying to kind of mentally train himself to get there because if he can, he's the Incredible Hulk. I mean, he's a monster out there. So I hope that analogy is okay. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, he is he's an incredible specimen physically. And uh, to do what he did, you know, 450 pounds four times in the hand clean is, is just uh, remarkable. So I think uh, he's certainly got to see. He's only 20 years old. You know, he's only his fourth semester in college. So uh, he, he, both he and Alaric Jackson, they could form one of the best tackle tandems in the country. Uh, Doc, i, I got to let you go on this, uh, and I'm glad you brought it up. I mean, the, the comebacks this week, you know, Virginia's comeback story from uh, losing as a one seed to a 16, being able to make that comeback. Then Tiger Woods being able to make that comeback. So glad you pointed this out on Twitter. Uh, Matt Millen had a pretty good comeback in his own right this weekend, Scott Dockerman. Yes, he did. I mean, on Christmas Eve, he had a heart transplant of a 26-year-old man, and because he was going to die. He would not be here at this point. 
yes, he was going to die. Yep. He was he was basically on his deathbed. Yep. And he was able to go to the the spring game in Pennsylvania this weekend at Penn State, and he got a louder ovation there than any play on the field. So, I bet. yeah, I think he's a terrific announcer, and I'm really happy for him. I do too, Scott Dockerman. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you, Doc. We'll talk to you next week. All right, sounds good, guys. Yeah, good to talk to you. Yeah, he did the BTN broadcast Mm -hmm. in the spring. That is a remarkable... Christmas Eve. Wow. A heart transplant. There he was. Yes. He was going to die any day had he not gotten that. That is a comeback. Tiger was was terrific. This was all worldly. (laughs) Dylan Montz, Ames Tribune, is in studio with us as we spend a few minutes talking about Iowa State. Uh, Good to see you, Dylan. Did you watch the golf? Are you into it? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if your mic is on. There it is. There we there go. We go. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was actually, um, you know, nerd alert a little bit, but I was watching Game of Thrones, trying to catch up. Oh, and, did and, you, how far and, did and you get? Uh, you know, I started this weekend, so not quite, oh, not quite no. all the way. So I got a ways to go, but my goal is to catch up um, when the last episode airs. But yeah, I, I definitely tune in for the last uh, several rounds, and um, you know, pretty unbelievable the nostalgia. Mm. I remember watching him. Growing up and, you know, going to my grandparents' house on Sundays and, and watching golf and watching Tiger do his thing. So it was it was kind of, you know, it, it got you a little bit and kind of took yep. you back. Indeed it did. I had a tear in my eye. I know I had more than one tear in my eye. <laughs> I got to admit, I'm glad you're watching Game at this big. I can't get Trent to watch it. I, I don't get it. It is so good. It's- Dragon, so dragon porn doesn't do it for me. Yeah, dragon porn. Anyways. <laughs> uh, look at Iowa State picked up a, uh, a pretty, uh, a good name. And, you know, you always go to the who did they beat to get him kind of page, right? And he's a three star, but he's from the state of Kansas, a 2002, uh, a 2020 pledge, Hayden Pauls, and beat some marquee regional power five schools for this kid. Yeah, they got him out of Emporia, um, six, four, two, two, 60 something i think is what he's listed as so he's a big kid um but uh, you like you said you kind of look down the line um you know iowa was involved uh kansas state was heavily involved being an in-state kid kansas um minnesota uh you know purdue oklahoma state so i mean really it's it kind of helped it helps them expand their footprint a little bit kind of getting guys um you know from the state of kansas they've obviously gotten easton dean and Brees hall in the in the last class so um and, and continuing to build that foundation of the offensive line is is kind of what they're after and, and the biggest focus on the recruiting trail so um getting a kid like that um from that footprint was was, was a nice get and a big deal and he became their top rated commit uh mm-hmm. in the 2020 class so far according to 24 7 so, Dylan, uh, I want to get this to you, and, and I don't know if this question's ever been asked of Matt Campbell or, or the coaching staff, especially offensive line coaches, but when they're recruiting, what's the kind of guy that they're looking for? What, what body type? You know, Wisconsin's been known as they'll take those 355-pounders and plug them in there and kind of find a way. Other teams want to be more athletic and take a 270-pound guy and get him up to 290, but they want to have that movement. What's the prototype for an Iowa State lineman going forward? Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And, uh, you know, between the Paul Rhodes era and this one, I think you kind of see a difference of philosophies because I think Matt Campbell, they do try to go a little bit bigger for their guys, start out big and not put so much pressure on them to add weight and, Mm -hmm. you know, really kind of, you know, change so much um, when they get on campus just because I think in the past you've seen guys 
have injuries and you know rough on their knees and things like that it just is it takes a toll on them so if they start out a little bit bigger like a joey ramos who's over 300 pounds right now i think uh you know that's probably what they're after a little bit more and um you know i i'm not i think paul's is maybe listed as a tackle so he's got uh wiggle room there and they might add some weight on him uh once he gets to campus you know in a couple years a year whatever it is but uh i think they do probably like to start out a little bit bigger and then they can kind of um slide your movie around a little bit instead of trying to add it all on um, you know in the few months leading up to a season. I know there's three practices left. You guys will get Matt Campbell on Thursday, uh, and so there's still some work to be done. But it, would you say that one of the stories, and there's always a guy, right, that we leave spring practice about that's got the coaches, that's got the fan base, the media buzzing a little bit. Is Tariq Milton maybe that guy so far this year for Iowa State? Yeah, I think so. I think that's the one guy. Um, he came into last season, you know, with some hype, and people uh-huh. talked about, um, you know, what. And he you could see why. And you could yeah. see why. And I think um, Hakeem Butler maybe overshadowed him at times. Mm-hmm. And, and Milton did some good things, obviously, and there are a few highlight plays that stand out. But I think now that the onus is a little bit more on him and Deshante. Jones, I think he'll have a little bit more room to to kind of break out, and um, he's the one guy consistently that coaches and uh, players say, you know, that that guy's a freak. He can kind of get out there and do a little bit of whatever you need. He can play in the slot. He can play outside. Um, You know, he's never going to overpower you with size at 5'10", but uh, if he can get that first quick step, which he usually is able to, uh, he's kind of a dynamic guy and can shift defenses and move guys around. So I think I'm I'm really kind of interested to see what kind of jump he he does make this fall in terms of his opportunity and then what he adds to his skill set. You know, Dylan, it's interesting. You, you brought up a little bit ago Brees Hall, the incoming freshman running back, him and, and uh, Jirel Brock certainly getting a lot of conversation going into next year at the running back spot. The incumbent, if you will, taking over for Montgomery is Kenny Nwangu. A different type of running back, a guy that is a kick returner, has got some speed on the outside. If it is that those two freshmen come in and, and kind of surpass him in that running back depth chart, do you think they'd find different ways to maybe get Nwangu involved, be it you know, put him in the slot, have some jet sweeps, things like that. Could he become a part of the offense different than just strictly as a running back? Yeah, they even toyed around with that idea a little bit going into last season about lining him up, um, you know, moving him out, putting him in motion uh, because he is he's built a little bit different and he's so fast at six one. I think he's maybe two ten right now, so mm-hmm. he he's built a little bit differently than what you you know think a prototypical prototypical running back is. So I think, um, you know, if, if one of those two freshmen were to, to kind of uh, usurp his role a little bit, I think he'd still find ways to get on the field. And obviously, he's going to be the guy at kick returner, too. So finding finding ways to get him out there and, and use his speed a little bit is, is important. And, and same thing with Real Mitchell, although I don't know if they're necessarily thinking about him in terms of that right now, because I think he's the true number two quarterback. But um, if if they find ways to get on the uh, get speed on the field and kind of neutralize some things, especially if the offensive line is is still um, you know trying to find its way, I, I think that's that just helps you kind of um, you know cover up maybe some deficiencies. You know, you wrote a piece. I'm not sure if it was Thursday or Friday, whatever day it was. Real Mitchell's the longest tenured quarterback in that room. That doesn't sound right, <laughs> but yet it is. Yeah, when he said that, I almost kind of chuckled, and he even he even kind of laughed too. But um, yeah, he was here on on campus last spring, and uh, you know Kyle Kemp's gone. <laughs> Zeb Nolan's gone, yeah. Devin Moore's gone. So uh, Brock Purdy came in in the summer, and John Kohler, um, the transfer from Oklahoma State, came in this spring. So uh, Riel Mitchell has is, is been on campus the longest, as is, is unbelievable as that sounds. Uh, Brock Purdy, what kind of spring has he had? 
Yeah, it sounds like, uh, you know, everything's all roses in the spring, sure. I think, uh, with Brock Purdy. Um, they're really kind of liking the steps he's taking in terms of, um, you know, bringing the offense together. And I think they're starting to slowly add a little bit more to his plate. Uh, you know, last week, uh, Joel Gordon, the quarterback's coach, and Purdy himself talked about the design runs that they would maybe have for him because he had to scramble a lot last year and kind of, um, you know, improv a little bit. But he does have, um, you know, a, a really great running ability that they can utilize maybe in a design. Um, and, and again, as the offensive line kind of matures, they'll start to open up some of those things. But um, they, they do like where his progress is at and, um, you know, kind of uh, help, helping Real along, helping John Kohler along and, that room, it sounds like it is pretty tight right now in terms of everybody kind of helping themselves because, um, you know, Real is the longest tenured on the, on the <laughs> roster, but Purdy, um, you know, he's, he has the most experience at just eight or nine games, whatever it is. So, uh, nobody's, you know, super experienced, but, uh, I think that's kind of why, um, they're all kind of learning from each other and helping each other. Well, as I was watching the golf and some baseball over the weekend, a lot of NBA too, watched a lot of the Nuggets Spurs game on Saturday night with it. Monte Morris out there, and then you flip on the Jazz, and there's Yang, and, and the Thunder's got Nader and Burton, and on and on and on. Isn't there a, a small part that says, boy, there's a lot of good NBA players here. Shouldn't they done a little bit more at Iowa State? Yeah, probably so. And, I mean, uh, you, you kind of think back to the Big 12 tournaments, and they, they – won three in four years uh, with some of those guys and the NCAA tournament um, you know that, that's such a crapshoot you have different breaks um, literally with Niang's foot mm-hmm. 2014 um, you know in that 20 20- that was the year Dylan yeah I, I think so too just given what the road was and mm-hmm. playing UConn who was what was UConn that year were they at seven seed. seven seed so I mean you you know it's it's kind of a team of destiny for them but I think that was probably the year and then obviously 2015 the UAB game, if if that if Naz hits that shot at the end, maybe that goes a different way because you play UCLA in the sweets to go to the Sweet 16, and um, maybe the road opens up, and then you run into a tough Purdue team. Um, you know, a couple years later, uh, you get to the Sweet 16 um, in 2016 and get beat by Virginia. So I mean, there's there's so many different ways the ball could bounce, and yeah, maybe they could have done a little more, or should have done a little bit more, but um, that's kind of uh, the NCAA tournament. I mean, you look at Duke this year. Mm-hmm. Fair point, Dylan. Months, uh, you'll get Matt Campbell Thursday, so Friday's paper, you'll have a uh, recap of that? Yep, absolutely. So we'll, we'll kind of get the lowdown on who came out of spring healthy, yep. who's banged up. and, and is there any? Are there any injuries? Have you heard? Yeah, a couple guys maybe are, you know, there's been talk of Jaquan Bailey being a little bit banged up, uh-huh. Cordarius Bailey Somebody being said a they saw up. him in a boot, maybe. Yeah, so, and I... From what I've been able to gather, there's not too much concern right now, but um, you know we'll kind of get the lowdown mm-hmm. on Thursday. Did you see Brett Venables at practice this week? Apparently he no. was at practice. I, I didn't. Mm. Yes. That's a heck of a guy to have in the room. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. There's a little scoopage for you. I, 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 uh, Rob Luther sent me a picture of Brett Venables at Iowa State practice, Clemson D coordinator. Check into that one. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Murph and Andy, too. Fanatics at 4. The Morning Rush will start it all again tomorrow. Thanks for being here. Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO.